Welcome to GodPod. This is a podcast from St. Paul's Theological Centre based in Holy Trinity Brompton here in London. Jane Williams, Mike Lloyd and the occasional guest join me, Graham Tomlin, in discussing God, life, theology, the Bible, in fact, just about everything. Well, hello and welcome to GodPod 79. And uh, here we have the old team. We have Jane. Hello. And we have Michael. Hello. It's the kind of God Pod squad. Yeah. It? Squad. Yeah. It's very good to have Michael because Michael's a new job since we last met. That's true. And um, Michael is now the principal of Wycliffe Hall in Oxford. I know. That's how, that's how low they've sunk. <laughs> <laughs> Lucky Wycliffe is what you, Thank you, Jane. That's, that's a nicer are, way of putting it. We are bereft at not having Michael around the place, but it's great to have um, Michael with us today. It's very nice to be back. And uh, we're hoping to continue with GodPod and to uh, carry on with it into the future. So um, um, despite the It's distance, become a bit of a habit. That's a bit. We can't yes. kick it. So no, I mean, no. However that is, not Michael. We're not trying to kick <laughs> Michael. But, you know, there you go. Um, so anyway, GodPod 79, we have uh, a number of questions that have been uh, emailed in. Please do continue to send those in if you, um, if you uh, want to. It would be great to um, have some uh, more questions from... Uh, listeners from around the world but uh, we have a set of questions that are all coming from the same person which is um, a friend of one of our uh, students who um, sent in a number of questions about Christian faith with the really interesting ones that we thought we'd have a go at answering today and um, the first one is uh, summarized under the heading of why is Christianity the right religion there are lots of different religions around today, and over the course of time, there have been many different beliefs about gods, our origins, how the world works, etc. Christianity is neither the oldest nor the newest religion. It's not particularly original, and it's limited in its coverage of the world. So why pick Christianity? Uh, would you still be a Christian today if you were born in Saudi Arabia or India or China? Does it matter which religion you opt for? So those are some of the questions that come under this heading of, um, given the... Um, choice of religions out there today why is why is it that christianity is the right one what makes you pick christianity over the others can i can i just come in on on a bit of that question which is the bit about if you were born somewhere where christianity is not so prevalent would Mm. you be a christian and and of course the answer is you might well not be but that doesn't actually say anything about the truth or otherwise of christianity Mm. there are various parts of the world where you, uh, you would be unlikely to believe in evolution because that's not kind or of the equality of women, or, or the equality of women, or whatever. So uh, that doesn't mean that evolution is not uh, true. It doesn't mean that the equality of women is not uh, a, a given value. Um, so true. I think this is not a particularly. Uh, it, it, it's, it's about how you might come to believe something, rather than about whether that thing is true or not. Yeah. Truth is not a function of geography. Yes. But I don't know. A little sort of epigram, I thought. Yes, Remember that. Just take notes. But I don't know about you two, but I certainly don't feel that I picked a religion, that I sat down and read through them all and thought, well, this is the one that I think suits me best. I, I felt that mm. God picked me, really. I, um, mm. I, I encountered God in Christ and really didn't feel I had much choice about the matter, really. Mm. Um, so, um, uh, and I would guess that that would that most people of faith would say something very similar. It isn't actually a, a sense of, a, um, in that sense, a rational choice. It is about encountering a God that you can't push away. The, 
I, I I agree with that, and I kind of respect that as an experience. But so kind, uh, yes, I'm like that. <laughs> but um, I can see a but. <laughs> um, but then that raises the obvious question: Why has he picked you, and doesn't appear to have picked somebody else, um, and particularly hasn't picked people in those geographical yeah. areas? Uh, and and I think therefore one has to give an account. Uh, e- even if there is a sense of um, receiving the thing rather than going out looking for it, nevertheless, one has to be able to give an account of yep. why one thinks it's true um, and why one thinks it's a better account of things than, than any other given or proffered account. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Were you about to give one, Michael? <laughs> well, I mean, I think... In a sense, choosing a worldview insofar as one chooses a worldview is very like finding a good hypothesis in history or science. There's a a sense in which uh, you have to, the hypothesis has to answer three questions. Does it fit the facts? Does it, uh, is it self-consistent? And thirdly, does it shed light on preferably other areas than the one that was designed to explain? That's what you look for in a historical hypothesis. That's what you look for in a scientific hypothesis. And I think it works fairly well in this area as well. Is it self-consistent? If things riddled with contradictions, then um, it's probably unlikely to be true. Uh, if it doesn't fit the facts in some way, then it's probably not likely to be true. But the, the key question, I think, is does it shed light upon, in this case, the human condition? Uh, and if you stand here, how does the world look? Does it then have meaning uh, and value in those places that you need it to have meaning and value. And I think I would want to argue that, that Christianity is the best place to stand from and to view the world, that suddenly the thing has a, a, a meaning and a depth and a reality and a significance that it doesn't otherwise possess. Yes, I think, I think Jane's right in the sense that, that you know, it isn't like... For most people, I think it isn't the case that you look at, you know, here are five or six different choices. It's not, it's not like going to Sainsbury's and buying cereal for breakfast you know you don't look at six religions and think oh I think I'll pick that one thank you very much actually you do come to it via other via other means but I think Michael you're also right as well in the sense that you, you know you, you have to uh, then can you exactly that's right <laughs> I mediate between you two all the time. <laughs> <laughs> you then have to to give an account of that and, and and in some ways as you then grow in faith you encounter other faiths and people who hold other faiths you have to then think through quite seriously I think um, your own faith, their own faith, and in a sense, do do some of that exercise of of inquiring about the the quality, the basis, the coherence of the faith that you have. I remember doing this a number of years ago um, when, uh, as part of my theological study, I had the opportunity to to study another faith, and so took a paper on Islam, and and as a result of that, you know, read through the Quran, read through. Um, uh, many Islamic texts, talked to a number of Muslim friends and um, spent quite a bit of time looking quite closely into Islam as a, as a, as a faith. I mean, to be honest, not, not with a view to adopting it, but to try to understand it. And, and, and I think my experience is that it helped me to understand my own faith much more deeply by the contrasts that I found between that and, and Christian faith. And um, I think it helped me, I think, to discover a Maybe a stronger and deeper Christian faith because it it, um, it it sharpened up in my mind a number of distinct things about Christian Christian faith. And so, I mean, one of them, for example, 
um, is in a sense the discovery for me that it, in reading through the Quran, it never actually gets to say, which of course the Bible does, that 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 God is love. You don't get God defined in that very simple but profound way. God is is given all kinds of other names. He's beneficent. He's he's forgiving. He's um, compassionate and yes exactly that's right but that simple statement that god is love can god be defined by that word is not actually found within the quran now and and i suppose back to your point michael about does it shed light upon other things what struck me about that is that you know one of our one of our sort of primary maybe the primary need we have as human beings is to be loved and to learn to love um, that seems to be of the essence of being human, that we have this capacity to to love one another and to be loved by one another. And somehow if you if you found that, it's almost the deepest secret of life. And there's something that, that chimes when I when I hear that yep. message that the God that made us, the God at the heart of the universe, is a God who can be ultimately defined by love. And then my own experience of the fact that that I know I, I I need to be loved and I need to learn to to love, that those bits of the jigsaw fit together in a way that makes sense and it chimes and it makes me feel, yes, there is something true about this. I, I think that's exactly my experience too. The, 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 the doctrine of the Trinity, which is often thought of as being kind of abstruse and difficult and uh, irrelevant, is, is actually, for me, the very heart of it because it, it mm. uh, puts ground under my basic gut, visceral instinct that um, love is what we're for and what makes us flourish and... Mm. Um, and what and following on from that, I mean, Augustine in the fourth century, Augustine of Hippo, his great comparison between Christianity and the, the other ways in which he'd explored his religious instincts, he said he didn't find in any of the gods of the philosophers the humble God, mm-hmm. the God who's prepared in Jesus Christ to come and live our life yes. um, in order to draw us into relationship with God, and and that is a again a very profound. Um, difference isn't it one of the things that christianity tells us that this god is not just a god who requires obedience and worship and so on but actually comes to look for us yes mm. the other gods were strong but thou wast weak yes they rode but thou didst stumble to a throne um i can't remember how it goes on but <laughs> jesus of the scars by yeah. edward Sillito. Mm. um and i think that's entirely right that the um the gods the pagan gods are usually just larger versions of us with exactly the same qualities but also always squabbling they're kind of proud they're fighting amongst themselves exactly as we do it's just a projection onto a cosmic screen of what we are whereas the person of jesus is not a projection of how we are uh, what we notice is how different he is that his is not about self-promotion it's about self-sacrifice and that's not what you would project onto a cosmic screen if you're projecting us onto a a cosmic screen. And I think that, again, the key thing, of course, if you're trying to decide between the different religions, as you said, Graham, what is distinct about Christianity, of course, that in the end is is Jesus. And um, that, for me, is why I would stand here rather than anywhere else. I think the the other aspect I think that struck me as I thought of this is that it's probably the explanatory power of Christian faith to explain the world our experience and so on and i think the other aspect of it is this particular thing i'll be back to your point jane about augustine that um that is picked up by others later on by people like pascal and, and others this this particular kind of um two ideas of creation and fall that you 
that it explains for me so much of the world that we as we we know that we are we live in a world that is created and therefore fundamentally good and therefore i can explain the sheer wonder and beauty and glory of the world and experience and the unselfish gene (laughs) (laughs) that's right you can explain the sheer goodness and wonder wonder of the place but also the sense that it is it is deeply fallen and which helps me explain some of the ugliness and the terror and the the uh, fearfulness of, of 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 our experience and the fact that we're able to do such dreadful things to one another and that the world itself seems such a damaged place and that that account seems to me to preserve something really important i mean pascal talks about even within human nature the grandeur and the misère of, of, of humanity we have this greatness but we also have this misery you know we are capable of extraordinary feats of creativity and generosity and love but we're also capable of extraordinary um, cruelty and horror t- to each other and that doctrine of creation and fall that we are both created and fallen seems to do justice to the breadth of our experience of ourselves and the world in a way that other ways of conceiving reality don't and that we are good things that have gone wrong not bad things mm. which is really important yeah. i think in terms of mental health apart yeah. from that you'll see ourselves each right. other yeah, mm. yes exactly yes. that's right and but particularly when you then add in the the third bit of the kind of divine parabola you have creation for and then redemption exactly. there, there is yep. actually hope within the cosmic universe not just for entropy but for um new creation and, and recreation yeah yeah I mean, th- well, another part of the question is um does it matter which religion you opt for i i uh, think presumably that other part of the question is why yes uh, why would, <laughs> oh i see why would oh, it right. matter? okay yes. why would it matter? well i think it matters because you become like what you worship so if you worship success or whatever then you're a it's, it's going to let you down when you're not being successful uh, and b it's not something much bigger than yourself it's not something personal it's not something loving it's not going to love you a question a, a good question to ask of anything that you worship or make central to your life is how much does it love you um and and only when you are giving yourself to that which loves you are you going to be fully yourself and what you see in the cross is how much the god we meet in christ loves us and therefore if you worship that you're going to be expanded by the the greatness of god but also warmed and thawed and fulfilled by the love that we meet there and of course it's important to to have this conversation recognizing the real grandeur and worth of other religious traditions yes and all of us who've encountered people um, who are who have grown in other religious traditions um, would want to say that. So, it, so I, I don't want it to be a sort of combative. You, this is best, and you've got to do this. But, no. No. but actually, trying to speak out of our own experience of what it is that holds us here. Mm. Um, mm. Yes, exactly that sense of of this being worthwhile, this being absolutely worthwhile. That's right, and I suppose it does play out in how we treat each other I mean what we believe matters I mean back to the point you made a moment ago if we believe that each person we meet is someone created good but has gone wrong in some way including every single one of us 
then you treat that person differently. You treat that person, yes, there may be things that are not right about that person, but they are someone who has immense value, created by the by, by God, for whom Christ died, that, that that God holds them with that much value. And um and that is very different from if you say, for example, divide the world into good people and bad people. That there are some good people who you treat well and there are some bad people who are just irredeemable and you can't do anything about them and you shun them and you avoid them and you just disown them. Um, or even a world where you believe in some kind of karma. You know, the idea you, you, you basically get what you deserve. Um, now, you know, do I want to live in a world where basically everybody gets what they deserve and if I know my own heart, I know I don't deserve a great deal? Or do actually I want to live in a world of grace where actually I don't get what I deserve, I actually get goodness given to me by this God who who loves and who wants to to transform me and everyone around into his own image and so on so it's it it, it seems to me it's the way we treat each other it's the way we view ourselves the way we view the world how we value each other and ourselves and the planet on which we live and if that means that um, if if what you're saying is that we are all made good we are all good um, but things go wrong with us. Then, then one of that one of the knock-on effects of that is, as you say, that every person you meet is a is potentially a gift. It's something that uh, from whom somebody from whom you can learn a little bit more about what it is to be human, um, and that ought, I think, to inform the way in which we talk to people of other faiths as well. The expectation that um, people of other faith and no faith will still be potential gifts to us if we can look at them like that. People from whom we can learn a little bit more about what it is to be human and also who can, in, in, in a, a slightly opaque way, teach us a little bit more about what it is to be God yeah. because they're made in the image of God. That, that would be the Jewish Christian kind of belief. And, and that, I think, is really important too. This person who I find difficult and annoying and irritating, mm. I, I'm not looking at anybody in this room <laughs> at that, that point, point um, <laughs> is somebody who's made in the image of God and therefore, however obscured that is by the sin that we all have, um, there is. If I attend, if I attend to them, mm. if I listen and look, and pray and think and wait, I will see something mm. of God in them. Mm. Um, Going on to a second question, um, it's uh, asked in this list is a similar one and related in some ways, but it's the question: Why do you believe in God? And um, it is asking the question: you know, Partly, how do we become? To believe in God, what first convinced you to, to believe in God, but also what strengthens that belief when you doubt it, and uh, why? When um, sometimes you go through, I guess anyone goes through through life, certain things happen, or, or questions come to mind that make you doubt faith. How does your belief in God survive during those periods? Um, so um, that's the, that's the question. Mm. So um, it's a really interesting one to look into. Uh, why, at the end of the day, do we believe in God? Is it a rational thing? Is it an emotional thing? Is it something different from that? What would you say? I think. I think. I mean, speaking speaking purely personally, um, there are two two things that I that help me when I doubt. Uh, one is, um, and this was what actually happened when I went through a kind of prolonged period of of depression and doubt. Uh, and had to rethink my faith right from the scratch and wasn't sure what I believed if anything. Uh, it was just before I got ordained, which was which complicated things <laughs> slightly. Um, and 
in the end, the thing I couldn't get round was the evidence for Jesus' resurrection. Uh, that that for me, I just I just couldn't find a way around that. Uh, so for that was kind of historical uh, argumentation and evidence, I suppose. Um, that that's what I found particularly helpful at that, at that point. Uh, and the other one, I remember um, the night before my father's funeral, uh, I was going to be preaching at, at his service, and I spent the whole night thinking, who are we trying to kid? Um, you know, <clears throat> this uh, it just seems completely Im Im implausible, and it seemed utterly implausible to me the whole concept of resurrection. Um, and I b began to realise that this was not a very good argument. The argument was I couldn't imagine it, and that's not a, a very good argument. Um, and actually, I noticed that when I was depressed, I couldn't imagine ever not being. Mm. Uh, but actually, I came through it. I came the, through the, the, the other side of it. Uh, and I almost saw my doubt as a kind of you know, cosmic depression mm. uh, that you can't see yourself getting the other side of. And, and, and our experience of death is, is a bit like that, that it's a, a cosmic depression that you can mm. ima can't imagine ever being without, ever being the other side of. But that d doesn't actually mean that it cannot be or yeah. could not be. Uh, so that, that, for me, I think is, is, is one of the... One of the reasons, I've, if you don't like that, I've got others. As <laughs> <laughs> Groucho Marx would have said. <laughs> I, I found that, I mean, again, this is very impressionistic kind of response, that, that when I was thinking about what I want to tell the people that I love, my children, for example, about the world, this is the story I want to tell them. This seems to me to be a story which has um, a place of extraordinary value for for everybody that has um, a, a sort of task and a mission, something really worth doing, really, really worth being involved in, that has hope, that has a way of seeing backwards and forwards um, uh, through history and to the end of history, giving a sort of shape and a, and an exciting narrative that, that plugs you into a community. I just think it's a, it, you know, it's a really, really good story. <laughs> um, and I also, you know, every so often when, almost wishing I didn't believe in God because it can be such a nuisance at times. I, I have to stop and think, would I actually really want to live my life differently? Mm. You know, mm. if if I stopped believing in God, what would I do differently from what I am doing now? And the answer is nothing. Believing in God gives me a way of living in the world that I, um, I, I think is a fruitful and hopeful and uh, energising and... Mm. Uh, enlarging way of life mm. Mm. Well, I suppose it, the, the, idea, the idea of you know believing in God like, what why do you believe in God and there's, there's, there's maybe an assumption in that which is that Christian faith is the sort of intellectual um, assent to the proposition that there is a God and that's part of it but that's a rather sort of attenuated rather sort of thin description of what Christian faith is it seems to me that Christian faith is not not in its essence a belief in the proposition that there is a god it is actually belief in god in the same way that we might say to someone else i really believe in you in other words it's a much more personal trust that's involved here which is a very different thing and that it seems to me is what helps faith survive during the periods when you you do have your intellectual doubts or your your, your questions about it it's the sense that that you that you've 
there's a sort of there is a, an element of personal trust in in this in the same way that you you know you have a very good friend that you've trusted for quite a long time they suddenly do something out of the ordinary you can't quite explain and you're tempted to to wonder what on earth they're doing but but you you don't at that point abandon them because you think well they've always been trustworthy so far i'll i'll, I'll stick with this and it's a little bit like that it seems to me with with, with christian faith and that that um so that seems to be one aspect of it that element of personal trust that we have i think i think that the other aspect of it is it's back to this thing about explanatory power i think um that there is something about this faith that just makes sense of life and and without it I mean, I certainly i feel my life would be hugely impoverished I, mean, I was thinking the other day that well, I was perhaps, perhaps the main thing that we question is the, the whole problem of suffering you know mm. how does god allow a, a world in which so much suffering exists and you can come up with all kinds of answers to that and questions and so on but at the end of the day i kind of think well okay i could i could just abandon belief in god i could say okay god doesn't exist does that solve the problem also no it doesn't mm. you've still got the suffering you've still got to deal with it you've still got to deal with the bereavement the illness the cancer whatever else it is and it seems to be what christian faith brings at that point is is hope it's the possibility of hope the possibility that this that suffering is not eternal that evil is not eternal one day it will be be overcome and within that the gift of prayer that seems to be that seems to be such a crucial thing that sustains you during those those periods I often think of psalm 88 which is a psalm which is completely bleak I mean, the last verse the end the conclusion of it is you've taken my companions and loved ones from me the darkness is my closest friend mm. and that's about as bleak as you can get but it's there in the bible because actually prayer can be something that sustains you even in the sort of darkest period because it's all part of a personal relationship of trust i think the other thing uh, a religious faith and particularly christian faith gives you is the right to protest against suffering yeah um the problem of evil cuts both ways yes of course it raises difficult questions uh, about the, lo the love of god and how you can allow these things or things to happen but it also raises questions for atheists you know why do you feel the need to protest against these things they are just natural in on your system they're what you'd expect why do you feel the need why is this moral out why does it about shout it? out yeah. at you yeah. that this should not be if it's the way things ultimately are yeah. now christian faith gives you a, a basis for saying that these are not the way things ultimately are love is the way things ultimately are and yeah. therefore why are these things happening therefore we have a grounds for protesting therefore we have a reason to shout um and we also have a god who has made the the effort in jesus to come and make himself available to us even in the darkest yes um, depths of suffering and pain because God has chosen to go there so that even there he will be our companion yes I think I think the other thing that I find helpful is human need there is there seems to be a human need for something more uh, particularly um, in the face of death for, for there to be some hope the other side of death you see it from cave paintings onwards mm. there's and the way a cave in you know, all those kind of burials that with, with uh, goods and that sort of thing some sense that there's a longing there's a desperate longing for this to be something more and um, i found very helpful c.s lewis's line um which he quotes 
from Matthew Arnold. He says, um, nor does the being hungry mean that we have food. Just because you have, have, feel a need for something doesn't mean that you're going to get it. Just because you feel hungry doesn't mean that you're going to get food. Just because you feel the need for sex doesn't mean you're going to get any. And, and Lewis says, no, that's true. Matthew Arnold's right about that. But it does mean there is such a thing as food mm. and that we're made for it. <laughs> Otherwise, you wouldn't feel hungry. Mm. Uh, and so where comes this longing for transcendence? Where comes this longing for something more? Where comes this need for hope, uh, this loving, this need for value and affirmation beyond that which we can garner from one another? Uh, why do we feel the need for it if we weren't made for it? Yeah, there's another part of the question which comes towards the end of this little um, collection of questions, um, which is this one. What, what does... God give you in your day-to-day life that a simple appreciation for the wonder of the world does not provide. And maybe behind that, I think a little bit is some of the recent things that Richard Dawkins has been saying and um, writing about the capacity of a wonder, the kind of wonder at the world that you don't need a God to explain it or, or whatever. There's a sense of wonder that you can have. What, what does God give you that just an appreciation for the wonder of the world doesn't provide? I think two things. One is um, relationship. Mm. You can't relate to that which is impersonal ultimately, or it's a very different kind of thing. Um, so, so something that loves you back, um, and then something that can underwrite your existence ongoingly and eternally. Mm. Uh, and a finite world can't do that. Mm two of the basic things that we need the need for relationship and love and the need for hope yeah and forgiveness and forgiveness it seems to me that an impersonal world a world which does not come out of personal being and love can't extend forgiveness to us when we desperately need that and that's why when life is all rosy and you haven't done anything bad and your, and your conscience is not pricking you and, and everything else. But in those moments when you, you're aware that you desperately need forgiveness, if there's no one out there to forgive, how do you cope? And it seems to me that we need more than just a, a wonder at the, the glory of the universe, which is a good thing in itself. Mm-hmm. Um, but actually Christian faith offers you a much bigger world than that. Uh, it offers a world where there's a person behind it, not just a series of random forces. It gives us a reason why there is anything at all. So mm. That's one of the big questions about mm. that um, reading Dawkins leaves in, in the back of my mind is, well, why is there anything anyway? Yes. And it also offers you not just a person behind it, but a moral person. Uh, look at nature, and you might wonder at it in all sorts of ways, but it's a very mixed bag of things. It can be beautiful, but it can be utterly cruel and brutal. Um, and to have something, someone who is beyond that, behind that, greater than that, uh, and who is nothing but good, in whom there's no darkness at all, um, again, if you become like what you worship, that's very important. So part of what we're given is what you might call a vocation, mm. that we actually have um, a, a role in this world. Um, I am a sister to all people. I am called to be forgiving as I have been forgiven. I'm, uh, so, so it actually gives you a, a, a purposeful way of living in the world with, mm. yes, a vocation called mm. to be. Mm. 
Well, some very, very interesting questions there. Yes, thanks. Let's have lots more from that source, please. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> the questions are probably better than the answers. It <laughs> <laughs> was ever thus. Yes. I don't think these are answers. These are us exactly. rabbiting around. Exactly. around. <laughs> yeah, but um, fascinating anyway. Well, uh, that's the end of uh, GodPod 79. Hope you've enjoyed it. Um, so thank you to Michael. It's a pleasure. Thank you, Sue, for Jane. Likewise. And uh, from me, Graham Tomlin, um, goodbye. Thank you to you, Graham. Oh, thank you very much. <laughs> and uh, we will see you again next time for God Pod. Well, we won't, of course. We won't, well, we won't see, see you, you at yeah, all. Yeah, no. yeah, yeah. But, uh, as always, we will. Hear, well, no, you will hear from us. <laughs> yeah, you'll be we we sadly us. don't get to hear but from uh, an email from the people who listen to us. But um, goodbye, and uh, we'll be back soon. That was God Pod, a podcast from the St. Paul's Theological Centre. If you want to send us a question, just email it to godpod at htb.org.uk. We can't promise to answer all the questions you send in, but we'll certainly try. Until next time, goodbye.